You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to episode 42 of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today I have a very special guest, Cheryl Matricu from Australia to talk with us about if I know I can only control my behavior, why do I keep trying to control everyone else's? When we were talking about me starting a podcast, this was a topic that Cheryl asked for. And so I asked if she wanted to be my guest and she said she would. So we're just going to have a conversation about it. I hope you enjoy. Cheryl, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Kim. So Cheryl, do you remember why you thought this topic would be a good one for me to cover? If I know I can only control my behavior, why do I keep trying to control everyone else's? Well, I think it's just something that I continue to do. It's not something I'm proud of, but it's something that I continue to do, especially with my family. I think that this is a topic, it's actually how I start my choice theory training. Just for our audience, Cheryl is also a choice theory practitioner and has been studying choice theory for some time now, and she's active in the Australian Institute. I usually start my choice theory trainings with two questions. This is exactly the setup for this topic. I'll ask, whose behavior can you control? And everybody knows the answer to that now. When I first started teaching this in the 90s, not everybody knew the answer. They would say, oh, I control my spouse, I control my children, I control my employees, but it's really not true. And people today, they realize you can't control anyone else. But then I'll ask the question, whose behavior do you try to control all day long? And I'll get these nervous laughs and people will say, everybody else's. And you bring up the point, especially your family. Why do you think that is? I think it has so much to do with the emotional attachment and that you'd like to influence them in some way. Also, as a mother with children, when they're little, you guide them. They look to you for um, advice and boundaries and those kind of things. And that's all very well. But as they get older, they don't want that. But when you talk to them, when they come to you, it seems that that's what they still hear. I don't know whether it's the tone of voice I use or the language that I use, whether it's different. I've been thinking about that quite a bit. Do I use a different tone of voice? Do I use a different language with my family than what I use with other people? Or is it that they are just hearing it differently because they're my children? It could be a little bit of both too. It yeah. doesn't have to be one or the other. What yeah, do you think yeah. when you ponder that? Do you think that you use different language with them or a different tone perhaps? Possibly. I think I do, especially with my husband. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially. You know, he'll, he'll say something to me and I will interpret him bossing me, trying to tell me what to do. And it's like, don't tell me what to do. And then I know I'm being reactive. I know straight away I'm being reactive. <laughs> but I still mm -hmm. do it. So it's a hard one, I think, to really do well. It doesn't matter how much you know it. Well, for me anyway, you know, I can be completely aware or even not aware. As human beings, we, I don't know the science behind this, but we have this need, if you want, for people to believe what we believe. We think we're right. We, we don't just think we're want, right. We know we're right. And we know what's right for us. And then we know what's right for them too. Yeah. Darn yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why are exactly. you resisting? This is really good yes. for you. 
<laughs> yes. And so it's there. It's very hard to not do that because you know that it's not actually going to get you anywhere. And to learn a different way of saying things. The other day, I was talking to my granddaughter on Skype and she'd made cinnamon rolls. And Jacob loves cinnamon rolls. And he was in the kitchen and I said to him, Jake, quick, come and have a look. And he immediately was like, Mum, I'm doing something. And I hadn't meant it. There was no intention there about do this immediately. But that's obviously how it came across. And that's what got me to thinking, is it the tone of voice? Is it the way I say it? Is it the way he hears it? It could just be history, right? Mm -hmm. He remembers that usually when you call him, you want something right away. It doesn't mean that this time it's different. He may not know that. It might just be history. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very aware of it. Let me tell you that. It's something that I do. And I think too, you know, Kim, I'm one of 11. I'm number four. I'm probably a bit bossy. (laughs) And when you had that many people around you, you needed to be heard. There's a lot of talking over other people, not listening. Here's my voice. Hear me, hear me. I'm right. You're wrong. It's a part of me, I think. Well, that to me doesn't sound a lot like choice theory. I understand your history and how you got to it. But to say it's a part of you as if it can't be changed or altered in any way. Absolutely, we can understand where it came from. Yeah. But I don't believe that you can't get control of this. And you know how I know that? Because I was where you are and I got control of it. And it took time. It doesn't happen just because you know it in your head. It doesn't happen that you can just stop. You know, it's something you want to do. You're aware when you're doing it. You can even hear yourself doing it. And in your head, you're saying, Cheryl, you're bullying him again. Why am I, why am I doing this? But you don't stop. You keep doing it because you're in the middle of it. It's like the train has left the station. Awareness is really the first step, right? You need to be aware. You need to know the difference between what you're doing and what you want to be doing. If you're aware, to me, that is a big major step forward because most Mm. people do this completely unconsciously. They have no idea that they're doing it. They don't hear themselves. And I think there's so many reasons. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. I think one of the reasons is that the only real model that we've had for how to be husband and wife is our parents. And our parents did the best that they knew how to do for sure, but it may not be the way that we want to be. And so what we experienced was being parented. And so when we get married, we tend to try to parent our spouses. Mm. We try to mother them as females and as men, our husbands try to maybe overprotect us like a father would do. And it can be really challenging to work through those dimensions, but we don't know another way to be. We've never related to anyone as an equal. We've only parented or been parented. So those behaviors spill over into the spousal relationship and it doesn't serve us because that's not the relationship the other person is looking for. It's not what either of you want, really, I think. That's right. Yeah. But it's, it's what we know. So we continue to do it. Learning how to do it differently, first of all, having a good picture of what it looks like, what you want to be doing, and then interrupting yourself might be the next step, right? When you're doing it and you realize you're doing it, you say, whoa, I'm going to stop right there. I hear myself. So that could be the next step. 
and then could have a chuckle about it, right? It's funny because you don't want to control and you realize you're controlling. And then it'll become easier as you go along. For those people who are listening, I know this may sound like a foreign concept to you, but one of the things in choice theory that we talk a lot about is not trying to externally control people, especially the people that we care about. But for some reason, those are the very people we do it with the most. And I've thought about this too, Cheryl, and I think it has something to do with the image that we have in our heads of what our children are supposed to be and what our spouses are supposed to be, and how our parents are supposed to be. We have these images of what we want in our children, and what we want in our spouse, what we want in our parents. And because in choice theory, we call it a quality world picture, we know that quality world pictures are perfection. They're perfect. What human being could live up to the quality world pictures we have in our head of who we want them to be? There's not a single person that I know that could. We're expecting perfection, at least to match the pictures we have in our head. And the people that we love have other ideas about who they want to be that might differ from the pictures we have in our head. And we still insist on our pictures because we know if you would just do what I'm telling you to do, you'd be so much happier or your life would be easier or things would be better. Just do what I say. But that's not their program. They weren't made to do what we say. They were made to do what they want to do. Yeah, I've worked a lot on changing the pictures in my Mm. head. Done a lot of work on that because those perfect pictures can just bring you a whole lot of misery. (laughs) You're not kidding. So how did you do that? How did you change the pictures in your head and make them less perfect? Just um, reframe them, really. It was a matter of thinking about, well, I I still love this person or they're important to me. But in some cases, where the relationship, say, wasn't so good and the likelihood of it improving was minimal. So you keep that person in your quality world, but they don't have to take up so much room. (laughs) They're there and you care about them. But how can I explain it? I have a sister who I don't particularly get along with, but I still love her. And I spent many years being terribly upset about the relationship. And I knew that no matter what, she was always going to be my sister. I was always going to love her. But the relationship really wasn't going to change. And I could still love her, but not have the relationship that I had the picture of. Then you're not losing anything that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I just shifted it. I find sometimes we can love from a distance. And it can be better for both of us than trying to love up close. Yeah, it's much better, much easier. And then with my husband, (laughs) with this lockdown, with the COVID pandemic, being together 24 hours a day, every day, since March, pretty much, was, I thought, well, I, I didn't think about it too much, but it surprised me that it hasn't been the challenge that I thought it might be. We've actually got along really well. And there's been a number of times where he said to me, Cheryl, do you realise we're not arguing? Because we can argue. (laughs) (laughs) Have you won some awards in that department? Oh, well, I should, I should. (laughs) And we just haven't. I think the worst time is dinner time when he wants everything done by the clock. You know, I'll be back in 20 minutes and this needs to be turned off. Or I'll check on this and, you know, you can do this and you can do that. That's fine. I get my back up. 
who's been cooking for the last 30 years, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> right, of course. You but, didn't need his help before. Yeah, you don't it, need it now. No, but it's over in two seconds if I get a bit cranky with him or he gets cranky with me. And it's just over. Whereas in years gone by, that could have just escalated to a massive. We've both changed a lot. There's no point to it. It's not going to change either of us either. We accept each other so much better, I think. But it's taken us 30 years to get there. (laughs) Yeah, Cheryl, some people never get there. So to say you've done it in 30 years, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's funny. I've been looking up some of Glass's quotes And this one this morning made me laugh. While it's possible that we do know what's right for others, unless they agree with us, trying to force this knowledge on them is usually a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I know that quote like that. That's a great one. Yeah. (laughs) That's in his for parents and teenagers. Ah, yeah. It's Yes, that just made me laugh. I thought it's so true. I had a man in my mental freedom group tell me this. One of the things that I try to teach is when Dr. Glasser, our choice theory guru, taught us, the only thing we can do is give another person information. And how they take that information is their part of the equation, right? But we can do some things that make it more likely that they'll hear our information in a neutral way by, I call it, using the please pass the butter voice. So you know how you would ask somebody at the dinner table to please pass the butter. When you're giving information to someone, that's what it should sound like. It shouldn't sound like, please pass the butter, or you've got to pass the butter. Something terrible is going to happen. It should just be matter of fact, please pass the butter. I was thinking you might like to come and see your niece's cinnamon rolls. Please pass the butter. This man in my mental freedom group says, yeah, you're just putting the butter on the table. You're not cramming it down their throat. Yes, exactly. That's a perfect image. So you're saying, please pass the butter, but you're also not shoving butter down somebody's throat that may not want butter. You have every right to have your own thoughts and your own opinions and things that you want to say about what other people are doing. Say it, but say it in your please pass the butter voice and not with the expectation. I think this is what gets us in trouble too. When we give our information, we have the expectation that now they'll see the light and change what they're doing to do it the way we say. Absolutely. We have to know that we're just offering information and they can use it or not use it, hear it, not hear it. There's all kinds of things they can do with that information. All we can do is give it to them and they do what they want with it. Because after all, this is one of the things I like to remember, whose life is it anyway? Mm. Who has to live with the consequences of doing it the way they choose? Not me. They do. Mm. What if they did it my way? I'm dealing with so many clients right now who are struggling with the way their family members are getting through this coronavirus slowdown, right? I don't want to call it a lockdown. Mm. We're not really locked down, but... No, we are here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We can still go to the grocery store and we can go to restaurants. So it's not completely shut down. Mm. What's happening is there are people who are totally blasé about this crisis. They don't wear a mask. They do all kinds of risky things. And their family members are really upset about that and think you're just playing Russian roulette with this virus. And they may not want them to come around because they're afraid. 
then there's other people who are telling me that they have loved ones who are so paranoid about getting COVID-19 that they won't leave their house. They won't let the grandkids come over and visit. They're being really isolationists. In one case, it's a daughter who's talking to me about her parents and she's saying her mother was this way. Her father's super social and has these guy friends that he likes to pal around with and they go hiking together. There's no reason they can't still go hiking. They're outside, they can have their six feet and they'll still be able to chat, but her mother won't let her father go out. And I kind of laughed. And I said, she won't let him go out. He could open the door and leave, right? And she said, well, he could, but he won't. And I said, so why won't he? And she said, because he's afraid of the consequences. Mom will make his life miserable. And I said, so he's actually making a choice to stay home, right? Is that what you're telling me? And you're trying to push him to go out. Now imagine, just imagine, he listens to you and he says, the heck with you, honey. Uh, my daughter said I can go out and be with the guys. And he walks out and he goes and he, he's with the guys. And what happens if he comes home with coronavirus and gives it to your mm. mother? Mm. Now what? Who's responsible for that? I just mm. feel like you don't get to tell another person what they should be doing. I think it's always the other person's choice. You can make suggestions. In fact, Cheryl, this was like one of the high points in my life. I'll never forget it. I don't even know if my son remembers it, but My son, Dave, and his wife came to visit me with their children a few years ago, probably five years ago now. And my son was telling me on the way here, he said to his wife, you know the difference between your mom and my mom? And she said, what? And he said, your mom tells us what to do. My mom makes suggestions. Mm. And I was so proud of that. I was proud of myself because that's exactly what I want. And I only want to make suggestions when I'm asked. I don't want to be making suggestions unsolicited because it's none of my business. My (laughs) children are in their mid thirties. They have wives, they have children. Do they do it the way I think they should do it all the time? No. (laughs) Is it my business to tell them what to do? Only if they ask. And then it's just to give them my opinion because my opinion might work, but it might not. Just because I'm their mother doesn't make my opinions correct. I know quite often during conversations with my eldest son, he'll ring and I can hear myself saying in that voice that I talked about earlier, pretty much do this, do that. And then I'll pull myself back and go, if that's what you want to do or it's up to you. And I try and turn it around because I realize what I've done. Just because he's asked me doesn't mean I have the right to tell him. Exactly. He can ask, but he's not asking for you to tell him what to do. He's asking what you think. So just tell him what you think. Please pass the butter. This is what I think. I love that. Please pass the butter. I'll have to remember that one. (laughs) That's true. I think it can take the emotion out of things. If you're doing that with your son, I think it's okay to say, whoa, can I do that over again? Take two. (laughs) Oh yeah, we laugh. We laugh quite often and when I uh, pick up on on how I've spoken. And of course, he's incredibly opinionated. You've met him. So (laughs) you can imagine some of the conversations. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can imagine. I know you have a Kyle too, don't you? Do you have a Kyle? I do. Yeah, yeah. I always say my Kyle taught me choice theory. And it was because he was so high freedom, high power. And if I said black, he said white, just because Mm -hmm. I said black. So we had all of these challenges when he was a teenager and growing up. Oh, 
I felt like a punching bag sometimes, really. Yep. Today, he's 35 years old. He's an incredible human being. I love spending time with him. I couldn't ask for a better father for my grandchildren. I mean, he's just amazing. You'd never have believed he could have turned out the way he did if you knew him as a teenager, especially those couple of years after his dad died. He was just horrible. He doesn't remember some of that. I've asked him recently, do you remember the time you knocked over the Christmas tree and I ended up restraining you because I thought you were going to hurt yourself? I don't remember that. I said, oh, I'll never forget it because it was one of the most emotional moments of my parenting. And I was so questioning my doing the right thing. It was so hard. And I think that's the other thing. Parenting is so hard and the stakes are so high that we get so passionate about what we believe. It's more than that we just think we're right. We think we're right and the other way or any other way will have disastrous consequences. Yeah. And sometimes I think things aren't as disastrous as we think. Surely, if we let our children make more of their own choices, they would make mistakes. Of course they would, because Lord knows we made ours, right? So what? They make mistakes. And to me, mistakes are the way that people learn. I don't learn a lot from my successes. I learn way more from the things I'm not successful at than the ones I am successful at. So by trying to keep our kids from experiencing mistakes and having some bumps and bruises along the way, we're preventing them from actually learning what they need to learn to make better choices in the future. Yeah. Your story of your Kyle is very similar to my story of my Kyle. And I think we've had the conversation I think, before. I think that's is why it I in the name? <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I remember you have a Kyle. Yeah, Some people come and, to me um, after training and say, I have a Kyle too. His name is George. Or I have a Kyle too. Her name is Sally. You I have know, a real Kyle. My Kyle's Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. He is a beautiful soul now. He always was. I knew he was, but he did things the hard way and I had to let him go and I had to let him make those terrible choices and find out for himself. Do and it the hard learned. way, but he's, he's come through. Yeah, it's hard to do because as the parent, you're not sure they're going to make it through, right? No. You're thinking, you're going to kill yourself. That's the fear. And yeah. sometimes the fear is completely irrational and sometimes the fear is very real. Kids don't always make the best decisions. Heck, grown-ups don't always make the best decisions no, either. No, definitely not. <laughs> but I find that when we tell people, whether it's clients or people in our life that are close to us, what we think they should do, and we do it in a way that has some judgment in it, if they're a connection person, they're going to do what you say to get along, to please you, to not have conflict. And it might not be what they want. They might be doing what you say just to please you. It may be the wrong decision for them. And if you have a Kyle, like you and I, who are high freedom or high power significance, they're going to fight us and do the opposite of what we think just to show that they can and that we're not the boss of them. And when that happens, both children, whichever case it is, they're not making the decision that they would make for themselves. They're making a decision reactive to our input into their decision-making process. If we get ourselves out of their decision-making process, I find they can make better decisions because they're not reacting to us. Yes. They're actually considering, this is what I want. 
I think A is my best way to get there. Or maybe they'll try A and say, no, maybe I should go back and try B because A didn't work out so well. But if we're in the equation by letting them know what we think they should do, I think that they're making worse decisions than if we stayed out. When we're telling other people what to do, sometimes I think that they make worse decisions just to prove that they can. Have you experienced that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've even done it myself. Bite off your nose to spite your face. Yep. I know. I'm the same way. Don't tell me what to do. You could Mm. tell me I won a million dollars in the lottery and I have to go pick it up at the gas station. You tell me to go do that. I just might not because you told Mm. me to. How stupid Mm. would that be? But there is a resistance to being controlled. And if we understand that, you and I understand that (laughs) for sure, that people have a resistance to being controlled, then to be respectful because we want to use connecting habits. Respect is one of them. Respecting, accepting. We need to accept that we have a life to live and we get to live ours. And we need to let the people around us do the same. Do you think, Kim, when you're that loving, belonging person, that need is so high, that makes it more likely that you are wanting the right thing for that other person so you can be more inclined to be controlling? Not intentionally, but just because of the relationship, because it matters so much, because you care so much about that person, because you want the right thing for that person. Oh, I think that I think that's why we do it more with our family than with other people in our life with the people that we love. It's because we have such an emotional investment in their outcomes. There are some people who would even say that their outcomes reflect on them. Mm. Uh, My mother was a big person who said that a lot. What you kids do reflects on me. So if we did the right thing, she could be proud. If we made mistakes and did bad things, according to her, then she would be disgraced. I fought that as a freedom person. I'm like, what I do has nothing to do with you. But of course, in her mind, she connected the two. And I think many parents do connect what they want for their children as the right thing. And we need to recognize that our children have a say in that. And they actually should have the most say in that. We don't get to decide for our kids what the right thing is. When Kyle told me he wanted to go in the army and go fight in Iraq, I knew for sure that wasn't the right thing for him. Hell no, he could die over there. I wanted to keep him home in the worst way. But Mm -hmm. I knew that it wasn't my place to try to do that. Even though he was young, he was only 18 when he joined the army. But I knew that if I tried to stop him, it was going to really damage our relationship. To tell you the truth, he left a little boy and he came home a man. Yeah. And he gained a lot from being in military service. It took some things from him as well. It took some of his hearing. He doesn't hear as well as he did before. He Mm -hmm. has some aversion to loud noises that sound Mm -hmm. like guns, but he's not broken. And the things that he got from having military service, the character it built, the values that he picked up, the discipline that he has, he values those things very highly. Those are things that I don't particularly value. Discipline is not on my list of values that are most important to me. Although I think I'm quite a disciplined person, yes, it's not a value that I hold. I value kindness. That's my number one value. 
And so I don't get to decide what Kyle values. I had influence over him growing up, that's for sure. But he has taken his own path and I support him on that path. And I really respect the man that he's become. And the same mm-hmm. is true of Dave. I talk about Kyle as if he's my only child. I have another child, Dave, but you see, Dave was a love and belonging guy. So he often did what I said he should do because he was trying to please me. So we didn't have a a lot of conflict. And Dave is a wonderful human being. He has a very loving wife. They have a great relationship. They have four children. He has a great job. He makes a lot of money, has a beautiful home. There's all kinds of things I could say about Dave. But for me, Kyle is a little like the prodigal son because he was so oppositional and defiant when he was a teenager. And he's turned into the most lovely human being that you could ever imagine. It's it's really miraculous. And I don't know how that happened. I can't take credit for it. He did that himself. He did it. He did it. And I have to say the same about my Kyle. He's lived on the streets. He's done things really hard. Money doesn't matter to him material stuff are not important to him but he always presents himself extremely well even when he was living on the streets he was always well dressed (laughs) the clothes mightn't have been the cleanest but that's not what you initially saw but he is very involved with indigenous people now he's going back to his own roots and learning the cook island language he wants to go and live in new zealand for a time planning on doing that next year. He's studied youth work this year. I'm very, very proud of him. He's come a long way, but he's done it the hard way. And it's definitely not from anything that I've done for him other than be there. It's the one thing with him. I might not have heard from him for months, even years sometimes, but I always knew that if he needed me, he would contact me. So it was the no news is good news was always my mantra with Kyle that if I didn't hear from him, he was okay. But I always knew that he would call me if he needed me. And he did. Mm -hmm. The fact that he knew I would love him no matter what, no matter what. That, I think, is the job of a good parent. Mm. It's tough sometimes. It's really tough. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. No, it's really tough. You want to be able to help them. You want to be there. You want the relationship. You miss them when you don't hear from them. But sometimes to leave them alone to do their own thing is the best thing you can do. I agree. And there's just one thing I would challenge you to maybe think about a little bit differently. When you said he did it the hard way, I'd like you to think instead he did it his way. Yeah, true, true. It was hard, but it was his way. (laughs) It was hard for you. It might not have been hard for him. It might have been exactly the way it had to be for him to become who he is. So Mm. he didn't do Mm. it the hard way. He did it his way. His way. Yeah. Yeah. See the language. Language is important. So important. And it's a lot easier to hear it in someone else than it is to hear it in yourself. Yes. Yes. Definitely. We're coming to the end of our time. Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience as a wrap up? Well, Just that. I'll leave with Glass's quote, if you like. Sure. If everyone could learn that what is right for me does not make it right for anyone else, the world would be a much happier place. Wow. That's a good one. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Kim. 
I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll join me next week when I'm going to be talking with Denise Dobb about weight loss coaching. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.